Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here are your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle, but he don't ever get rattled, he just goes till the sun goes down. Welcome to Food Chat. Food Chat is all about where food comes from. I'm your host, Greg Bloom, and with me in studio is Chef Jackson Lamb. Chef Jackson Lamb, welcome to the next, uh, can't say it, edition of Food Chat. Or episode. Episode, that's right. There There we we go. go. There we go. Very good. Hey, Greg, what are we talking about today? Well, today I thought that we would talk about pellet smoking or pellet grilling because more and more people are getting into smoking meat or cooking meat outsourced with pellet grills and now these grills are everywhere they're at costco they're at home depot they're at every ranch store you can't go anywhere hardly any ace hardware and not see pellet smokers they are turning into the preferred way to cook outside you know greg i've been a chef in the restaurant industry in denver for 20 years i don't know one restaurant that has a pellet smoker Okay, that's not what we do. Right. We've got the big uh, uh, oiler smokers that take the hickory wood that they're built in Texas, and that's for doing ribs and pork butt and, you know, 500 pounds of meat at a time. Sure. So we're used to dealing with uh, hardwood gas electric. And uh, through that, that's that's what drives our smokers. But the pellet... Uh, uh, grills that we're seeing so frequently, that's a different thing altogether. And so if you could explain the technology behind that. You know, we've talked in the past where, you know, you start with a high temperature, then you go to a low temperature, then you bring it back up to a high temperature to sear it on the outside. But we don't do that in the restaurant business. Mm. So if you can kind of point out the differences, uh, that might help our listeners understand exactly what... uh, uh, pellet grills are all about. And when we say pellet grills, that's just a general term. There's a lot of people that are making them now. And, sure. and the pellets themselves kind of look like dog food, don't they? They're these little tiny pellets that's like kibble, but they get the job done. And it is wood. You yeah, know? it's real wood. Yeah. It's just chopped up and pressed real wood that's extruded. Absolutely. Through, uh, you know, a machine. But yeah, I mean, it's really replaced charcoal grills. So you probably grew up with a charcoal grill. You had the briquettes, you put the lighter fluid on, you stand back, you throw the match, you just, the, the smell is awesome, <laughs> right? But that's, that's what we all grew up doing with real wood, and real wood does almost always make meat taste better yeah. when you're using real wood than right. if you're using just like, for example, you know, gas, propane, or natural gas. Sure. You know, um, I've spoken to some chefs that, that do have uh, pellet grills, there is a pellet out there called the competition blend. Right. And that's what they use when they're smoking, and they're going to go into one of these uh, food fests that we have uh, all summer long. So a pretty interesting phenomenon. But in any event, we've got a compressed piece of pellet wood, here. A wood, yeah, yeah, piece of wood. Yeah. So then how, how is it that we can regulate the temperature high, low, back to high, 
And uh, what, are, what are some of the components of the grill itself? Well, it's pretty simple when you take them apart and, you know, you need to do monthly maintenance or weekly maintenance. Not weekly, but probably monthly as often as most people would use their pellet smoker. But when you take it apart, you just have a firing pot and an auger. So the computer chip, you know, augers the pellets in to the igniter, which is in the little firing pot, you know, which is not very big, like four inches wide, six inches tall, maybe, or four by four. And the computer knows how hot that chamber is, and it knows when to put more pellets in to make more smoke or more heat, and it knows when to back off. So it's really, this technology wouldn't even work if we didn't have computer chips, you yeah. know. So that's, you know, but it's very simple. I compare that to, I've got one of those, uh, uh, it's an electric smoker. It's 12 by 12 by 36. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can take that up to 275 degrees with no uh, wood chips in there at all. So I'll allow that to come up, uh, get the heat going, and then add the wood chips. Right. Um, but again, I'm dealing with the wood chips. Uh, quite often, they're, it's recommended that they're soaked in water so that they'll make more smoke. I don't think we have to do that with pellet No, grills. you don't do that. In fact, you don't want your pellets to get uh, wet or because they'll expand and get caught up on your auger. So, <laughs> yeah, you got to keep them dry. But, uh, you know, there's such a nice, low-maintenance, easy-to-use, non-intimidating piece of equipment. I think everyone that has at least, you know, a four-foot deck outside should have a pellet smoker. All you need is an outlet outside and a little bit of room. And your neighbors are going to love you because there's nothing better than the smell of smoke or smoked cooking food outside, I think. You know, I've got a neighbor who, uh, here we are in May. Today's going to be 75 degrees. She still has the fireplace going. You know, it, it makes the whole neighborhood smell like wood. I tell her it smells like Christmas. Right. Well, it's May. Right. But you're uh, absolutely right. When you're, uh, when you're grilling, I've got a neighbor in the back. I get up at 9 o'clock in the morning. What is he cooking back there? It smells great. Yeah, right. It's a good way to get your neighbor's uh, flavor juices going. So I would encourage Chef Jackson that if you don't have a pellet smoker yet, this is a great time of year, beginning of the grilling season, to get one. And, you know, I would tell people just go to your local Ace Hardware or if you want a real good deal on one, go to Costco. If you're not near a Costco, go to your no- – if you're in the country, go to your local ranch store, Big R or – Murdoch's, they all sell them. They sell several kinds. And I don't think that the brand matters that much. I I bought a Traeger, but there's a lot of good brands out there. They all have a guarantee. They all work on the same premise. And also, you know, you can buy the pellets anywhere, but the cheapest place to buy pellets is Costco because they mark them up the least. But you can get your, your local smoke store. And I also found, Chef Jackson, just since we're talking about pellets, it doesn't really matter what it says on the bag as to the type of pellet, applewood, cherrywood, oak, mesquite. I don't think most people, myself included, can taste that in the steak. Now, there might be some people that have such a discerning pellet, maybe yours. You're, you, know, you, you can taste all the varieties of grapes and wines and stuff. We've talked about wine before here on Food Chat. We've had a salmon before. But, but for me, when I'm eating a steak, I can't tell if the pellets were applewood or cherrywood or mesquite. I can't tell. So, sure. Yeah. I, in fact, I was just thinking of applewood and cherrywood. Those are the two in the top of my head. Um, I'm a traditional grill guy. In fact, I bought a brand new uh, five burner grill last year. My question for you with a pellet smoker is, where does all the grease go? You know, I've t- talking about monthly maintenance. I've got to pull that 
that drip pan out of the back, the, the bottom of my grill and clean that thing. And it's not a pleasant job. Do we have the same kind of a grease buildup in a pellet smoker? Yeah, so how they uh, deal with that grease problem is that the uh, catch pan below the grill, uh, below the, you know, where the meat is, is on a slant. Yeah. And as the, the drippings come off the grill, they go into the pan and they're on a slant and they go down into a hole and into a bucket. Yeah. So about once, depends on what you're doing. If you're cooking a brisket, you have to empty that thing after you cook the brisket, right? But normally, about once a month, you're throwing that grease out. Or you can make a great suet ball with some bird seed for your friends in the neighborhood, namely the birds. So don't let that go to waste because that's really good protein and nutrition for all the local birds to eat. And they'll just love you, you know, unless you don't want to attract birds, of course. But no, they're pretty easy to, uh, much easier to keep clean than a traditional grill that doesn't have the the catch pan on a slant going into a bucket, you know. And then once a month, you got to get your wet, dry vacuum out and vacuum out all of the ashes yeah that collect at the bottom and also a little tip that i've learned is keep foil aluminum foil on your drip pan and change it pretty often because what happens and people don't realize is as those drippings hit that pan and that pan gets hot it gets to 500 degrees it burns yeah if you've got too much chard on there it affects the flavor of your meat in fact my son jonathan has told me many times hey dad this wagyu steak you cooked usually it's super good it tastes like elk or something weird. It's gamier, you know, and it is. It's always that I haven't cleaned the foil off that drip pan, and I've got extra flavors in there going on. So change the foil pretty often, like every week or every two or third use, yeah. and you'll go a long way in keeping your meat the best tasting as possible. Sure. An old chef trick is you line that pan with baking soda. Baking soda. Baking what soda. What does that do? Absorbs all the grease. Ah. It doesn't stick to the drip pan, and you just sweep it into your garbage can. Oh, nice. I've not so, tried that. So that's just a, you know, we've, uh, I've done that in commercial kitchens where, you know, you're working with a broiler, and again, you have that drip factor. Um, yeah, it's uh, baking soda absorbs everything. And then you can just uh, sweep that up and throw it away. It's got a million uses. You can brush your teeth with it. You can keep your refrigerator smelling great. And you can use it. Now Now we learn to keep your drip pan dry. Or, you know, if you have <coughs> digestive problems, uh, you know, baking soda in a little water, right. clean your right up. Right. Now, there may be people listening to this show, Chef, that really want a pellet smoker, but they're expensive. They're, you know, six, seven, eight hundred dollars a thousand dollars my recommendation is to think about it like this. A piece of nice quality kitchen, a, a nice appliance in your kitchen, a stove or refrigerator, those aren't cheap, but they last you 10 years. It's the same as a pellet smoker. A pellet smoker used, you know, periodically, you know, maybe maybe daily, will still last five, six, seven, maybe 10 years. So yeah, $1,000 divided by 10 years is 100 bucks a year. It's not that much money. Sure. And again, on the uh, regular oven side, you buy yourself a, a sub-zero oven, that's going to last you forever, or a Viking, you know, versus a general electric or a life's good oven. You know, after five or six years, you might be replacing that. So, right, right. So, you know, how about sizes of pellet grills, uh, small, medium, and large? Can we, can we purchase them based on our needs? 
I would say yes. I would say if you don't know how big of one to buy, start small. Here's why. Most of the time, people are cooking for four people yeah. or six, maybe. Maybe even eight, but you can put pretty much anything you want on the smallest of them. They use less fuel. They use electricity, less electricity. They have a smaller footprint. So I would go small rather than go big. And the problem with the big ones too, Chef, is that in the winter or when the weather turns outside cold, the bigger ones, because they got more, you know, square footage, square inches, they're harder to keep, you know, the heat temperature. The temperatures doesn't maintain. Yeah. But the smaller ones can can hold temperature better even in cold weather very interesting what a great <coughs> phenomenon that is now chef let's talk about for those people that like you know what i'm just not going to get one you know i'm not going to drop a grand and you know i just i just don't enjoy it that much so i want to do something inside well you're not really going to put a pellet smoker in your house okay and vent it outside unless you're a real hillbilly okay <laughs> or you know you have a really big hood underneath your stove you can try it i guess but there's other ways to cook meat that turn out great, like sous vide cooking, for example. We've talked on this show, Food Chat, yeah. we had a whole show on sous vide cooking. For, but for someone that's not heard that show or doesn't know what that word is, what is sous vide cooking and why is it such a powerful culinary tool? Yeah. Well, sous vide is a French term which uh, translates to under vacuum. And really what we're doing is we're taking a protein... Or we can take fruit. We can take vegetables. We're going to put them in a vacuum-sealed bag. And then we're actually going to cook them in hot water. So when we're talking about steak, I, that's what I'm doing tonight, as a matter of fact. I have a chuck mock tender wow. that I took out of the freezer uh, two days ago. Uh, for those uh, in the audience that don't, don't know what that means... You know, the chuck is that big muscle um, in between the shoulders of a steer. And when the USDA came up with uh, meat classifications, they did that 100 years ago. And lately, some scientists, food scientists at the University of California, Davis, said, let's take a look at some of these muscles again. And what they realized inside of the chuck, there is another muscle in there that is just as tender as tenderloin. So tonight we're going to pull that out. We're going to uh, spice that up. I'm going to put that into a vacuum sealed bag. Sous vide. I can put that into water, hot water, 130 degrees. I can leave it in there for two hours, four hours, eight hours, 24 hours. It's never going to get hotter than 130 degrees. Right. It's so I can't overcook it. That's the beautiful thing about sous vide. Unfortunately, it takes a little bit longer, so you have to meal plan yeah. uh, into that. I'm planning on doing some corned beef next month. It takes 48 hours in the sous vide machine. To, because it's brisket, it's a little on the tougher side, and we, we need that time in the hot water, really what's happening from a scientific perspective is the collagens in the muscles are breaking down, and that's what makes the meat tender. Right. Now, yeah. if you don't know where to get a sous vide machine, you can just go to Amazon.com. You buy a sous vide stick. They're less than 100 bucks. Yeah. They circulate the water. You put that thing in anything that holds water. A sink, a pot, a pan, a cooler, you know, anything that'll hold water, you can sous vide in. Sure. And, uh, you know, I like it because the method, because you cook in the meat 
or the fish or whatever vegetables in their natural juices. And you can infuse flavors into there by putting herbs, spices, different other foods in there. Hey, what if you want to do a raspberry-infused ribeye? You could try it with a sous vide bag. Sure. You can't do that on a pellet smoker. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, A great example of that is, uh, you know, a lot of times with carrots, we're going to boil the carrots. Well, instead of boiling the carrots, go ahead and slice them up, put them in the sous vide bag, suck out all the air, and put them in a hot water bath. They'll cook all right, but we don't have the flavor going out with the bath water. It's, they stay in the carrots, or they stay in whatever it is that we're cooking. Right. So that's the beautiful thing. If we, if we had a food product that would normally be steamed or boiled, sous vide allows us to maintain a lot of the original flavor that was in that product. You know what's interesting about sous vide cooking, Chef, and you're a food safety expert, so you'll appreciate this comment, I think, is that when we're grilling meat, we're always told that you need to get the outside temperature on that steak to 165 because E. coli and salmonella die at 165. If you're doing a burger or a piece of chicken or a piece of pork, you got to or anything ground, right? You got to get the inside temperature to 165 because of the same reason. That's where E. coli and salmonella die. But with sous vide, you said you're cooking at 130. I cook at 135. That's also a kill step for pathogens over time, right? Sure. Well, not only that. So tonight with my uh, mock tender, I'll pull that out. I'll set that up today for Sunday dinner or Saturday dinner. So it's going to take 24 hours for me to cook that. When that comes out of the bag and out of the water, it doesn't look like a grilled steak at all. No. It's kind of beige, to be honest Not with you. Not a great you. color, actually. No, but uh, I'm already at 130 degrees. All I need to do is drop that into either a very hot cast iron pan or on a, on a, on a wood charcoal grill, char the outside only for five minutes because the inside has already cooked up to 130 degrees. And just for our listeners... You know, a great rule of thumb is think of 130 as rare, 140 as medium rare, 150 as medium, right. 160 as medium well, and then 170, the number you used earlier, that's well done. So really, every 10 degrees, we can go up a notch with those labels of rare, medium rare, and well done. You know what I call a steak cooked to 170 degrees? Garbage. You should have eaten a salad. <laughs> Forget it. You ruined the thing. But uh, you know, now people that are just too intimidated by sous vide cooking, they're like, I'm not going to do that. But I still would like to be able to cook a nice steak, uh, any kind of protein at home. There's other things. You mentioned cast iron. Yeah. Why is cast iron such a great way to cook versus just, uh, you know, a non-cast iron pan? You know, I've got um, several cast iron pans. Um, one of them is just a, it's a 10-inch cast iron pan, but the other one is a cast iron grill pan. So if it's snowing outside, if it's raining outside, if, if, I'm, if I've got a, uh, a bison ribeye steak that I want to cook, I can put it in the grill cast iron pan and get grill marks like it was outside. Right. The other issue is most other pans are made out of anodized aluminum. Yuck. They don't handle the heat very well. No. Cast iron really not only captures that heat, but it maintains that heat so that as you're cooking, 
You're going to continue to cook. I think a lot of times when we're trying to regulate temperature in one of these, you know, cheaper frying pans, you know, you turn the heat down and man, the heat comes down. Yeah. Whereas at least with a cast iron pan, it does maintain that heat for a long time. Well, speaking of cast iron, you know, I think there's an important two-step process that people that really want to learn how to cook some great meats need to learn. And whether you're using a pellet smoker and cast iron or a sous vide and cast iron, it's the same. Many, many things I'll start on that pellet smoker just to add some smoke flavor. Sure. But I'm not going to finish it on there. For example, my pork back ribs or spare ribs. If you try to finish them on your pellet smoker, pellet smoker, they are leathery and chewy. So I put them on that thing at the low smoke setting just to get them infused with some smoke flavor. Yeah. Same as my brisket. I actually finish my briskets in the oven inside because it's more of a controlled environment. Yeah. And and I can do it all night long and not run out of pellets in the middle of the night and have to get up at three in the morning to make sure I have pellets in there. But uh, there's another great tool in the kitchen that I've seen you use before at Metropolitan State University, and that is a Dutch oven. What is a Dutch oven? You know, a Dutch oven, again, is a u utilizing cast iron technology, but it enables you to stack things on top of each other. My, uh, you know, in my background, I've done a lot of cooking on ranches in the West. I've been to... Uh, the chuck wagon cook-offs in, uh, in Casper, Wyoming, it's absolutely amazing. But quite often they're going to be cooking one item in the, in the Dutch oven on the bottom, and then they can place another cast iron pan on top of that, and that's where they're going to cook their biscuits or uh, a secondary item. Right. So what's great about that is, again, we come back to the ability of cast iron to really maintain and distribute heat in an even way. And also, cast iron cooking allows the whatever you're cooking in it to maintain its moisture because it's covered. So, for example, I might it's a winter day, it's snowing, or it's raining outside. I don't really want to go outside, okay? So I will use cast iron, uh, you know, on the stovetop to start my steak, get the temperature real hot, throw some butter on there, get it, get a sear on it, right? Yeah. And then I'll cover it and put it in the oven at four at three fifty and let it finish there. And it, when you do that, the, the meat, the roast, the food sets up and maintains its moisture. It comes out great. And it's a lot, it's forgiving too, because you can even leave it in there a little bit too long and maybe you get the meat a little bit more well done than you want it. It's still good. You know, you brought up a very good point and that is you put a lid on it right. and then put it in the, the oven. I have a, a number of the uh, La Cuisse pans, mm -hmm. French made, cast iron enamel painted but all with matching lids i'll start off doing a saute in one of those pans and then let's i'm making a pot au feu which is a french uh peasant stew if you will but i'll sear everything on the stovetop and then put the lid on it and put it in the oven and uh, let it go for about an hour it's moist it's steamy it's delicious um, I think when we take a pan and just put it in the oven, no lid, you mentioned it. Next, next thing you know, it's dry, it's leathery, it's not the quality we were looking for. Right. So, you know, putting, using a lid uh, in the cooking process, and whether we're in cast iron or in the cheaper type of pans, uh, can really save your proteins.
Now, a cast iron pan, you know, won't uh, set you back too far. Twenty, thirty, forty dollars depends on where you buy. It. They sell them at Cabela's, Walmart. They're a great thing to have in your cupboard. But a high quality Dutch oven. Now, those are over a hundred bucks. Some of them are over two hundred bucks. So, if someone's going to invest a couple hundred bucks in a very high quality Dutch oven, and they're not a meat eater, yeah. okay? There's a lot of other things you can do with the Dutch oven besides, you mentioned one, it made me think your description just now reminds me of one of my favorite animated movies, Ratatouille. <laughs> yes. You can make a very good ratatouille in a Dutch oven. Absolutely. Uh, baked beans or any of the legumes can right. be done in a, in a Dutch oven, which is uh, uh, very appropriate. Right. But you can also, you know, make casseroles in there, macaroni casseroles. So I would encourage people to, like, learn a culinary skill that's just very useful and interesting to them, like how to cook with a Dutch oven or how to cook with a sous vide uh, cooker or how to cook. Everyone has their own thing. Me, I love pellet smoking. Yeah. You know, you, you're more of an indoor cooker. Sure. You're sautéing things. You're, you're very comfortable in your kitchen. Yeah. You know. But, you know, I must say that right outside the back door, I've got that new grill. And then I've got a Weber Smoky Joe. Yep. And then I've got the Master Chef Smoker. So I've got all the to all the toys are lined up outside. Yeah, yeah. But I think if people just have a limited space and a limited budget, you don't really need a gas grill anymore outside. Your pellet smoker will cook everything. In fact, I hardly ever use my gas grill at all. In fact, even burgers, just hamburgers, come out much better on my pellet smoker than on my gas grill because it's against real wood and that flavor gets infused in yeah. the in the burgers and that you can cook them to whatever temperature you want and they're just wonderful so i i there's not a better burger in my book than on a pellet smoker yeah you know when you say you can cook it the way you want can you set the time uh, rather the temperature on the traeger like we're setting on a on a sous vide Yes, they, you know what the great thing about them, you could set the temperature, and now the new ones have a Bluetooth connection to your phone, so you're inside, you know, watching your favorite TV show or doing chores, folding laundry, whatever, but you lose track of time, and your phone sets you an alert that, hey, your meat's done, dummy, go get off the grill. Not only that, but there's a probe built into every pellet smoker now, so you put your probe inside your meat in the, in the center, then you close the lid, and you're cooking to internal temperature. So you know internal temperature is much more accurate than the temperature of the unit itself. Absolutely, and much more accurate than a handheld uh, uh, bio, uh, bimetal thermometer. Yeah, when you put the bimetal thermometer or whatever handheld thing you got in, you just ruined the heat loss when you open the stove or open the oven or open the pellet smoker anyway and let all the heat out. So now you don't even have to open it to check it. It's just a no-brainer, right? Well, and as you take that thermometer out, here comes the juice. Here comes the juice. That's right. So, yeah. Very good. Just, hey, in wrapping up the show, tip of the week. You were talking about uh, cast iron pans. You can buy them everywhere. Costco, Murdoch's, Ace Hardware, Walmart, 20, 30, 40 bucks. I have never bought a pan at those stores. I get my cast iron pans at Arc. Arc. Or Goodwill. Oh. A lot of people don't know what to do with them. Or when, you know, estates are being shut down, they wind up in stores like that. They're cast iron. They get a little rusty. People think they're no good. You go can clean them right clean up. Clean them, yes. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So you can go home and uh, make that look like new. Okay. And so, uh, you know, 
uh, and you're out the door for less than five bucks. I think you've given everybody a homework assignment for the weekend is to go secondhand, look for a piece of cast iron. You don't have to buy it. Just look to see if I'm correct. Yep. Very good. Hey, Chef, it was a great show today. Everyone listening, thanks for joining Food Chat again. You can find all of our episodes at www.foodchat.us. Chef Jackson, thank you. Hey, everybody. Happy eating. Bon appetit. Today's episode of Food Chat is brought to you by RanchFreshMeats.com. RanchFreshMeats.com has the best selection of beef, bison, wagyu, air-chilled chicken, turkey, and duroc pork, and more, all sourced from the family farms and ultra-clean USDA plants that they know personally. Take the mystery out of where your meat comes from and how the animals were cared for and buy your family's meats at RanchFreshMeats.com. Hey, save 10% on your first order by using Food Chat at checkout. Orders over $200 include free shipping. RanchFreshMeats.com. Here's to the farmer that plants the fields in the spring. The turn from green to that harvest honey. Hold one up for the banker downtown. They got him on his feet with handshake of money. Here's to the farmer's wife that loves him every night. Raising a son. Raising a daughter, they gather around the table, send it up to the father. Somehow they get closer when times get harder. Here's to the farmer. The views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.